This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is World Changing Ideas, and I'm Amelia Hempel. This season, we're on a mission to bring you the big ideas and futuristic projects from people all over the world who are working to fix things. So if you're sick of depressing news and you're anxious about the climate crisis, you've come to the right place. Okay, so no one said that fixing the world's environmental problems was going to be easy. Actually, they said exactly the opposite. This week, we've got the second half of COP27, the UN climate change conference that's going on in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. It's the first time since 2016 that it's taken place in an African country, which is important. So what actually happened last year? I feel like a lot's gone on since then. So just to quickly recap, COP26 was held in the Scottish city of Glasgow. The big news was that 120 world leaders signed the Glasgow Climate Pact, which committed to more financing for climate adaptation projects all around the world. Halting deforestation was a hot topic. So was getting China and the US to sign the emissions-cutting Paris Agreement. And the big goalpost for 2022 was to get more countries signed up to reduce their carbon, methane and generally polluting emissions. So how's all that going? Eight months ago, we left COP26 with 1.5 degrees on life support. There is no planet blah, 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 blah. We have no more time. Let's talk about COP27, an opportunity for the continent to address urgent issues. With countries most affected by rising temperatures, describing how climate change is impacting them. We are in a life or death struggle for our own safety today and our survival tomorrow. The world cannot wait. Well, the tone has definitely been pretty frantic. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned world leaders on day one, we are on a highway to climate hell. Getting straight to the point there. But importantly, and for the first time ever, the agenda for this year includes finding a way to finance loss and damages to vulnerable countries who've been impacted by climate disasters. To put this in perspective, right now, the United States, the EU and China are collectively responsible for a whopping 59% of global carbon dioxide emissions. While the economies of the global south are being hit the hardest by warming temperatures, drought and extreme weather events, to the tune of about $500 billion in damages over the last decade. Denmark has become the first UN member to offer actual cash for loss and damages, about $13.5 million, so the pressure is now on other nations to step up and help too. A gold star also goes to Norway, which announced just before the conference that it's going to cut its emissions by 55% rather than 50% by 2030 and to Germany, which has announced a new plastics bill to start in 2025. That bill will force German manufacturers of single-use plastics to contribute to the cost of cleaning up litter. Small steps, I guess, but at least they are taking steps. Another positive development from COP27 was the introduction of a children and youth pavilion. That's going to be a roundtable discussion for youth activists called Passing the Baton. 
Young people are one of the most at-risk but least heard from groups when it comes to the climate crisis, so I'm sure they'll have a lot to say. Unfortunately, COP27 didn't get the approval of teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg, who labelled the summit a scam and another example of greenwashing by politicians. Not a great review. It's obviously hard to bring about global change when everyone's got a different agenda and priorities that don't match up. So how could people, companies, non-profits, countries even, be financially incentivized to cut carbon emissions and generate jobs from doing it? Obviously, I want to hear your thoughts on a postcard. And that brings us to the world-changing idea we're thinking about this week. How do we make climate innovation a successful business strategy? To dig into this world-changing idea and source us some innovative business models, we've got our producer Avery Miles and our correspondent Taleb Vistram. Here's Avery to kick us off. Holding companies accountable for their carbon emissions has been a hurdle for some time now, but a nonprofit called Climate Vault has come up with a new way of tackling that. Climate Vault was also a world-changing ideas honoree this past year, so I wanted to get a better sense of what they're actually doing. Okay, but first, let me just explain a few basics about carbon emissions before we get into this. So a carbon offset is defined as either reducing or taking one metric ton of CO2 or any other greenhouse gas out of the atmosphere. If you can't offset your own carbon, you can pay someone to do it on your behalf. And then there are two ways companies can buy and sell these carbon offsets. First is through a publicly traded carbon marketplace. These function like voluntary markets for the carbon credits, which means that they are smaller and more experimental. And then there are the larger regulated types called cap-and-trade compliance markets. In this marketplace, governments issue a set amount of emissions permits every year and then auction them off to the highest bidders. And that's usually the companies that release the most carbon. Ideally, it works a bit like a carbon tax, which means that government authorities can limit or cap the emissions that each industry is releasing. I hope you got all that. So this is where Climate Vault comes into play. They buy up as many government emissions permits as they can, taking them off the market, and then that drives up the price of the remaining permits. So that's the nonprofit's first goal, storing this carbon and preventing any more from entering the atmosphere. The second goal is carbon removal, and that means it's investing in strategies and new technologies that will remove more carbon from the atmosphere. But I'll let Andrew Daly, who's the co-founder of Climate Vault, explain it in his own words. I sat down with him at our recent Fast Company Innovation Festival to chat more about it. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So my name is Andrew Daly. I'm one of the co-founders of a nonprofit organization called Climate Vault. How did Climate Vault come around and what was the motivation behind that? So that's a great question. Climate Vault actually is an idea that one of my co-founders had, Michael Mm -hmm. Greenstone, 
He had this idea about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and he and I get together at the end of each year, and we share notes on what's happened in our lives. And for the last, let's say, seven to eight years, we really felt the idea wasn't right. The timing wasn't right, right? The difference between salad and garbage, timing. <laughs> we put it together in the last two years, and really last year was our first year as a public launch. Okay. So it's an idea that's had time to kind of germinate and for the market to catch up to the idea. Right, right. So we went the opposite route of garbage. It <laughs> we hope so. Compost. <laughs> we hope so. It's something edible <laughs> Yes. in the end. So carbon removal is a really hot topic now, no pun intended. So can you kind of break down how Climate Vault is different? How do you stand apart from other carbon removal strategies? What Climate Vault does is take advantage of the one invention that humanity's had over the last thousand plus years, the invention that's scalable, cost efficient, transparent, and that invention is the market. And so we take advantage of the cap and trade markets, the compliance markets. And so if you wanted to offset your personal life, for example, You'd say, this is what I eat, this is where I live, this is how much I fly, this is what I drive, how I get around. We'd say, great, that's this many tons of carbon. We then go into those compliance markets and buy an equivalent number of permits. Each permit represents a ton of carbon. And we would pull those permits from the market and then put them into our vault. So essentially removing those tons of carbon from the marketplace and driving up the cost of carbon for the most egregious polluters. You with me? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty dense sort of process. It's a dense process, but it's actually incredibly simple. Okay. Because otherwise you'd say, oh, I need to go hire a consultant, figure out what my footprint is, Mm. go look at different options for then offsetting that, right? So I could compost my coffee grounds, as maybe you do already. I do. Um, Excellent. Uh, You could say, oh, I'm going to go buy a a voluntary offset, you know, by maybe putting money into a forest in Louisiana, whole variety of things. What's wrong with that approach? You don't know how many tons of CO2 are in that tree. Mm, Good point. Right? Right. One. Two, you don't know if that tree actually got planted, if it got sold two, three, four times over. Four, you're probably paying someone along the way. Consultant advisor, they're taking money off the top. The price that you're paying at the end point, what are you paying per ton for that voluntary offset? It's unclear. So there's other options in the marketplace where you go buy a flight and they say, hey, do you want to offset your flight? Mm -hmm. Those options are using the voluntary markets. And so our point of view is this is an Earth-scale problem that we need to address very aggressively using verifiable, scalable, cost-efficient tools and make sure that every dollar that's spent addressing the problem is spent addressing the problem and not on all these other things along the way. So then how do you keep them accountable? By placing, by storing them in this vault? We don't need to because we're taking advantage of the government-regulated marketplaces, the compliance markets. Mm -hmm. So... Therefore, the the regulation, the compliance, the verification, the transparency, the cost transparency, that's all handled by a government-regulated market. Okay, so you're not the enforcer. Correct. We don't need to be. So we pull those permits out of the market. Mm -hmm. We then go to carbon removal companies. So it could be carbon removal, carbon sequestration. 
and we say, prove to our panel of experts that you can remove a ton of carbon from the market and we will pay you for that service. Because the problem, you could come to me and say, hey, I've got this great direct air capture mousetrap and you want to go get investors for that. Mm -hmm. And the investors would say, great, who are your customers? And you'd stare at your shoelaces and say, well, there's no customers for this today. Right. So what we're doing by using the compliance markets, aggregating those permits that have a dollar value, we can then go to the removal companies and say on a one-for-one -one basis, prove to us that you're removing a ton of carbon and we'll then pay you for that service. So where there is no demand, we're actually aggregating that demand for carbon removal and sequestration. Can you give us an example of one of those scenarios? Yeah, so we're in the process actually right now. So we've gone through and aggregated quite a bit of demand, probably the most of anyone that's out there. And so we've got a panel of experts that's led by Secretary Ernie Moniz, who was the Secretary of Energy in the Obama administration. We've got the world's expert in terrestrial sequestration, the world's expert in oceanographic sequestration, a couple others. So we've put together the real A list of experts to analyze these different approaches. Switching gears a bit. So you have partnered recently with Genpact. Yes, okay. thanks to Fast Company and the innovation event. So can you explain the data innovation partnership? It was also briefly talked about on the panel, this idea of like offset transactions online. Can you dive yeah, into that? So one of the things that we're doing with Genpact is they've generously offered up their services in software development mm -hmm. to help build an API and some associated technologies for us so that let's say you're a major retailer and on your commerce site, you want to give consumers the option of offsetting that transaction. Or you could have any kind of incentives. Spend this amount of money and we'll offset 50% of the carbon footprint of that transaction. You know, we'll offset 100%, whatever the brand wants to do to enforce its brand values, they could do that. So we need the little technology piece so you could drop that into the commerce site okay. so that that's a seamless experience, frictionless experience. And they, in part, like the fact that Climate Vault is verifiable, transparent, and the most cost-effective. This is a question every time carbon removal comes into play that I've been asking on our show. This idea of the moral hazard, the idea that carbon removal, great idea, but doesn't that give companies just a get-out-of-jail-free card because then they can keep on emitting? So like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so in part, that's one of the reasons why we founded Climate Vault, which was to give companies and individuals an option to say, we want to be able to point to a trusted source and know that every last penny is being utilized to help save the planet. Our approach is fundamentally different and goes in part to addressing the moral hazard. The second piece is, I think everything that can be done, good, bad, or semi-indifferent, needs to happen in this effort. If we put everything through a purity test, I think we're not going to get to where we need to be. So by looking at it and saying, well, this is just, you know, greenwashing and labeling everything that way would be a not very sophisticated way and an unjust way of thinking about how do we solve this problem at scale. Okay. How I'm interpreting that is like the naysayers. Don't be so negative. We have to kind of push forward some way. 
I think what's been the biggest surprise to us in this journey is that independent of government regulation and government action, companies and individuals want better choices. And the voluntary offsets and the things that have been out there before, some people have been very leery of that. And what we're finding is, A, when given an efficient choice, organizations are willing to spend money to address this problem. B, we've been surprised that if you look at the data from the pandemic and now coming out of the pandemic, you know, emissions went way down at the very beginning of the pandemic. And you could have said, oh, this is a wonderful thing. Emissions have come back up. Now that there's more pressure on the economy, money isn't free anymore. There's more pressure on organizations. And yet, all the data, survey data, point to the fact that organizations and individuals still care about doing something about the planet and are still going to spend money in addressing this problem. Okay, I hope you were concentrating. There's going to be a test at the end of this. Now let's get to Taleb, who's been looking at this from a different angle and see what he's found out for us. Genpact is in the business of digital transformation, and that means it's ripe for helping companies and organizations innovate. To that end, it's recently partnered with Climate Vault to build software for the nonprofit to track carbon emissions. As part of its stated mission to create a world that works better for people, Genpact has created a seamless system for the organization to reach its carbon goals. In my conversation with Genpact CEO Tiger Tiagarajan, we covered how, at its core, climate change is a data challenge. We also discussed how holding companies accountable comes down to trust and why it's vital to keep the carbon removal process as transparent as possible. Here's my chat with Tiger. Well, um, Tiger, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. You're great to be in this conversation, Talib. Thank you. Tiger, to start off with, you know, one thing I've heard, which is relevant to what you do, is this idea that at its core, climate change is really a data issue. Do you agree with that? And how so? Oh, no, completely agree with the fact that uh, at its core, the climate issue is one of data. When an enterprise, let's talk about enterprises and businesses, to establish a baseline of what is my current carbon footprint, that itself is a big data issue. And then to improve your carbon footprint goes back to where are you getting the data from? Is that data correct and clean? Is that available on time and real time? And can you pull it all together to show a sustainable, consistent metric that tells you that actually you are improving your carbon footprint and you are on a journey to net zero? So we've always been of the view that part of the challenge in the climate journey for enterprises is definition of data, collection of that data, managing that data, and making it repeatable, reliable, auditable, so it's very transparent and clear. How are you helping Climate Vault specifically then with its mission to tackle climate change? Genpact is at its core renowned for our expertise and experience in uh, data, technology, AI, and running digital operations, all of which are in service to drive outcomes and transform the way our clients' businesses run. What we are doing in our partnership 
and coming together with Climate Vault is applying those digital and data management capabilities to Climate Vault solution. And the combination allows and gives more companies access to Climate Vault solution that then allows frictionless delivery of a client experience that allows more businesses to jump onto the platform and ultimately unlock a very trusted climate action change for the entire planet. So this is really Genpact and Climate Vault who share a common belief in the power of data, the power of markets, and the power of innovation to drive that change. So I assume this kind of frictionlessness kind of helps things become more easier for Climate Vault to do what it wants to do. And and what about for the clients or the partners of Climate Vault? Does it make it easier for them as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the real objective here is for Genpact and Climate Vault to make it far easier for you know the businesses who want to use the platform to jump onto that platform. And the way all these digital and technology platforms work, as you know, is the more people who jump in, the more others jump in. So it's a classic network effect, and we see that playing out. So at the, at the core, it's actually making it easier for the clients who use the platform, and therefore making it easier for Climate Vault to service them. Great. And and you mentioned transparency uh, previously. Why is transparency so important here, you know, when we're dealing with, with this industry and, and the carbon markets? So the idea here is to make something so clear, transparent, auditable, and believable that then a lot more people jump onto it and use it. When a company declares its financials, it is capable of being audited, it is capable of being checked, and it is incredibly transparent and you can trace everything back. Similarly, when a typical business says that it has improved its carbon and reduced its carbon emission by, I'm just picking a number, 30%, then it should be capable of being audited. And in the absence of that, it becomes very difficult to have trust. And As we all know, trust is very, very important for long-term impact to get created. You know, in the absence of that, you can never believe in everything. Tiger, what is the ultimate impact goal of this collaboration with Climate Vault? Well, the ultimate objective would be, you know, if you take the top thousand enterprises in the world, and if you think about their carbon emission footprint, and as each of them start undertaking a journey, of saying, I am going to get to net zero in a certain time frame. then the vision here is a large number of them use the platform, use the compliant market to be able to replace carbon and be able to open it up for audit and transparency. And if that happens, then really businesses drive the agenda to get our planet to a better place. And Tiger, why do you want to collaborate generally with companies that are in the climate space? Why is that important to Genpact? We as a company, if you think about the purpose uh, that we have, it's the relentless pursuit of a world that works better for people. You know, when I think about the four stakeholders that you can put into the bucket of people, uh, it's investors, it's clients, our employees and talent, and it's the community. And if you really want to make the world a better place for those four people, climate has to be one of those topics. You know, we have 120,000 people across the globe, 35 countries that we operate from. 
And in every one of those communities, people live there. They want to see those communities thrive into the long term. And everyone understands that that includes the journey on the impact on the climate. So I just want to make sure that, you know, everyone understands that this is actually not about just doing good. It's actually good for business and it's a strategy for our business. Specifically, then, there are a lot of companies doing good things or, you know, trying to do the right thing regarding climate. But what, what drew you specifically to want to work with Climate Vault? We've always been, as I said, big believers that at the core of a lot of these problems is uh, data, is transparency of that data, is verifiability and auditability of that data. We're also big believers in platforms. So for us, when we understood Climate Vault's technology and its solution, we actually thought that this matches our belief, it matches our view, and we also realized that actually we can add value in the partnership. It's the one plus one equal to 11, that combination that excited us. Yeah. And then just finally, Tiger, do you have any next steps or, or kind of future plans for GenPact in essentially combating climate change? What, you know, what's next for you in terms of uh, the climate space? Oh, lots of things, Talib. So I'll start with when we talk to companies that actually deal with a range of suppliers, how do you actually measure the climate footprint of your supplier? And then how do you choose suppliers based on where they are on their climate journey. You know, it's not just the enterprise, but it's a supply chain of the enterprise that has to get there. You know, we manage the backend of information flow from large equipment in the field. So think about power plants, think about uh, machines in factories, think about aircrafts and aircraft engines or railway and transportation and locomotive engines. All of these are energy consuming machines. The reality is that these days, those machines produce data. And a lot of our work is actually helping our clients use that data on a real-time basis. And I'm talking about terabytes of data to actually model how much is that equipment really efficient. And all of those longer term, when done at scale, actually further reduces carbon footprint across the globe. So lots of solutions yeah. in our arsenal when we work with clients is going to incorporate a number of these solutions. That's the journey we're on. And they all have data at the core of it. Amazing. Well, really important stuff here. Tiger, really appreciate you being with us and, and breaking it all down for us. No, thank you, Talib. Really great conversation. So at the moment, navigating the carbon market sounds quite complicated, but hopefully this is an idea that can make a global impact in the years to come. That's all for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel. We want to hear about the world-changing ideas going on where you are. So make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fast Company. Please leave us some comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify too. And we'll see you next Wednesday. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis and senior VP of entertainment Scott Meebus. <laughs>